So good. Wonderful announcements. So good. Good morning, everyone. How y'all doing? Good, good, good. Well, you can turn in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 3 today. So we're coming back into our series through 1 Peter after a little hiatus. Uh, the last two weekends, we celebrated the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, first with Easter Sunday and then with Baptism Sunday. Was it last, last week so good? And that chicken sandwich, right? Am I right? So two amazing Sundays in a row. It's just a fun time to be the church, isn't it? It's good. And I pray that you've been blessed by all that God is doing here in our midst. And uh, I love that we get to do this all together. You know, I was worshiping and I was listening to that song, The Way. And I had this um, recollection come into my mind that um, as I was getting into the U-Haul truck, leaving Santa Barbara, moving to Palos Verdes to plant this church uh, with just my wife and two kids. Uh, I played that song in the car, and it was, um, there's a new horizon, and I'm set on you. Um, you'll meet me here today, something along the lines there. And, and I remember that line just hit me, all my fears and doubts, they can come too. Here I was with a big U-Haul truck, moving here to plant this church, and and all my fears and doubts, they can come too. Um, and they did. But look at what God's done. Amen. And when we believe in the Lord and when we trust him by faith in what he's calling us to do and who he's calling us to be, there's nothing to fear. And we're going to learn a little bit about that today. So picking up where we left off in First Peter a few weeks back, uh, we had just come to the end of chapter 2 where we were going through this really practical section on the life of an elect exile. And we were examining what God has to say about our various relationships of submission. And, and we know from God himself that submission is a beautiful thing. In fact, we see how the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who are co-equal and co-eternal, and yet there is this yielded submission one to another. And since God invites us into relationship with him, he shares with us his divine perspective on our human relationships. We learn from God himself on how to relate to one another. And just think about it. Think about how we would live in utter chaos if God did not speak order into his creation. But God has spoken. God has spoken to us by his very own son. Hebrews says that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. Colossians says that in Jesus, all things hold together. And so God's living word, which is communicated to us through the Bible, it has a few things to say to us about how God orders his creation especially in terms of our relationship with one another. Because you see, what God does not do is he does not leave relational submission in some far-off, distant realm of cosmic theory. What God does is he brings this teaching right down to earth in everyday practical situations. And if you think about it, God sent his own son to earth. Talk about getting practical, that Jesus came and Jesus 
lived out the hard and real life things of what it looks like for you and I to experience relationship in a broken world that is corrupt by sin. See, Jesus understands the struggles of relationships. Jesus knows the ins and outs of relationships like no one else does. He knows, for instance, what it's like to submit to unjust government. Jesus knows what it's like to be treated harshly when you don't deserve it. He knows what it's like to have family despise you and friends reject you. He also knows the good parts too. He knows when love and honor are shared between two people that seem to be worlds apart from each other. And so Jesus came from heaven to earth. Talk about coming from worlds apart to bridge this distance of relationship. And what Jesus does is he shows us how we can faithfully live out our relationships in a healthy way. And and it's really going to come through humble hearts of submission. That's what we've been talking about. That's where we're going. Now, so far, again, just to recap, if you haven't been with us and you weren't here for the two teachings um, prior on submission to government and submission in our working relationships, is that Peter is showing us how submission and honor are to be found in our everyday relationships. He's been going through these relationships because he wants to show us what God has designed and what God has intended for relationships to flourish. And so we've learned, as I said, submission in government relationships, how a citizen is to be subject for the Lord's sake to governing authorities. Uh, We've learned about working relationships, how a slave is to be subject to their master or in our modern context, how employees are to be subject to their employers. And remember, as we've been going through this, is that in all of these cases, the instruction is weighted toward those who are to be subject, to those who are called to submit. But it certainly doesn't come to the exclusion of instruction for those who are in a position of leadership. And the incredible thing that we've seen about Jesus so far in 1 Peter, especially at the very end of chapter 2, is this. That in Jesus, we have a shining example. He is our perfect example of both submission and leadership. He is the lamb that was slain and the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Jesus is our bright example, and in Jesus, we find and discover the fullness of our relationships, both in how we lead and in how we submit. And so now I've spent some time bringing us up to speed, because it's in this context that this next relationship that we're going to talk about, that has to do with both leadership and submission, It has to do with our marriage relationships. The New Testament speaks very directly into the home for what happens between husbands and wives in the covenant of marriage. And the Word of God speaks to us about how our homes and how our marriages can flourish. And it's when our marriage relationships are being lived out with God's 
intended design and order. And with that said, we now look to God's imperishable word found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. Read the text with me and see what God has to say today. It says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's pray. Jesus, we look to you today as our great example of both a leader and one who is submitted. Thank you, Jesus, that you have loved your church and you have demonstrated your love in dying for her. God, I pray that as our marriages would be a picture of Christ and his love for the church, I pray that this church would put on full display the picture of the gospel through our marriages. God, I pray for husbands and wives today who are here, that you would bless them, that you would encourage them, that you would instruct them. I pray for those who are not married, uh, that you would be able to also speak to them and that they would gain understanding from your word about how to live um, for you and unto you, Jesus. We love you. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's start again with verse 1. We're going to just take this very practical and helpful teaching one verse at a time. So again, starting at verse 1 says, likewise... Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Now, Peter starts, as I said, with the instruction going first to the person who is to be submitted. He starts by saying, likewise, because what he's doing is connecting this to all the other parts of relationships of submission that we've seen so far. Peter is building upon what has already been taught about submission. So if we go to the most immediate context, right, then we would be looking at how Jesus, the Son of God, lived a humble life of submission. And so wives, as God's word is going to speak to you today, you need to understand that Jesus is calling you to be submitted to your own husband. But remember... Jesus does not call you to something that he himself is not willing to also do. We sometimes forget that submission is a Christ-like attitude. Uh, sometimes people adopt the wrong thinking when they think that submission devalues a person. Look, <laughs> submission in no way devalues a woman. 
When Jesus submitted himself to the cross, did it devalue him? (laughs) No way. It exalted him so that he was given the name that is above all names. And women are not the only ones who are called to submit. Think about it. Jesus came as a man, and as a male, he submitted himself in relationship. Men are also called into submission, even as Ephesians 5.21 tells us that all Christians are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So no person is excluded from the Christ-like attitude of submission. So here is a very simple biblical truth, is that men and women are created equally in the image and dignity of God. Man is not greater than woman in terms of worth or in terms of intrinsic value before God. Men and women are both to be honored. 1 Peter chapter 2, 17 said, honor everyone. That means everyone, men and women alike, are to be honored. Men and women are both a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people of his own possession. So no person is to be diminished of any of these God-given facts about us. However, what we do see is that men and women have been given separate and distinct roles, again, given by God in their relationship with one another, especially in the relationship of marriage. And so today what we have is we have instruction that is specifically for wives, and we're going to start there. And then at the end, we're going to come to instruction specifically for husbands, because both Husbands and wives need separate and distinct instruction for how they are to faithfully carry out their role as husband or wife. And so this is what we're going to learn today. We're going to learn as husbands and wives what it looks like to carry out our role as sojourners and exiles in this world. So back in verse 1, it says, likewise, wives. So pause there. I know I'm going kind of slow through the text here, but I I just got to build on it. It says, likewise, wives. Who's Peter instructing? Is he instructing husbands? No, he's instructing wives. So husbands, this isn't speaking to you quite yet. There's a part coming later where this is going to be speaking to you. But I think you'll understand me when I say this is, Husbands, men, this is one part of the Bible that you do not have to obey. You're like, really? There's scripture that I don't have to obey? Yes, you do not have to obey 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 6, because you're not a wife. <laughs> and so this instruction in no way applies to you. Now, that's not permission for all the men to check out for the rest of the sermon. But I say it, you know, semi-jokingly, but it's, it's kind of true, right? Is that this teaching that we're looking at right now, at this point, is for wives to receive. And they can receive it from the Lord themselves. Without husbands needing to teach it to them. 
You know, husbands should never have to quote, wife, submit to your husband. Look, at least I've never found it to go well in the Hendrickson house. (laughs) Because look, husbands, this is a command from God to your wife. This isn't a command from you to your wife. Let your wife learn from the Lord and be instructed by him. He'll do a way better job anyway. Like, God is a way better teacher than you are. Men, we make for really lousy Holy Spirits. And so, wives, this is applying to you. This is speaking to you today for what God wants to teach you in his word. So you have to be ready. God is going to speak today in his word. Do you have ears to hear what the Spirit is speaking? Do you have a heart that is ready to receive and a, and a life that is ready to obey what God has spoken about your role in marriage? And if you're not married today, there's still some biblical principles that you can learn, but, but this instruction really is for wives who are married. So, Women who are married, if you are married to your husband, God calls you to be subject to your own husband. Notice that the Holy Spirit was very careful uh, to give Peter the right words to give God's perspective on submission. Notice that it says to be subject to your own husband. Nowhere in the Bible is there the teaching that women are to submit to men generally. Women can lead over men in many spheres of life, and they do. In government, in business, in education, in many spheres of social relationship, women can lead over men. There are two areas where females are called to be subject to male leadership in the home and in the church. The Bible teaches male leadership only in those two areas, the home and the church. So women can lead at the highest level in all other spheres of relationship. So wife, wives, uh, my wife's in the room now, <laughs> wives, <laughs> all of you. God calls you to submit to your own husband so that means not to everyone else's husband so you do not need to submit in some general way to all men just because they are men it would be like a child submitting to somebody else's parents it's like no thank you I have my own mom and dad thank you very much And so the other areas, or the the one other area beyond family where there is uh, to be leadership from men is that God has appointed for the church that men are to be elders in the church. But that's for another time. We're not going to get into that teaching, but as we go through the scriptures, that'll come up at a certain point. Now, just historically thinking, this was revolutionary for the Roman world in which Peter was writing Again, this teaching in no way devalues women. In fact, this is a teaching that elevated women at that time to their God-given dignity and glory. 
The, the reason why we have rights for women is because of Christianity, not in spite of Christianity. And so the Roman culture in that time placed no value on women and children whatsoever. The New Testament turned that thinking upside down. Today, there are some who think that the teaching of Scripture is behind on the times. There's some who think that. But again, the New Testament will turn that thinking upside down as well. See, the Bible teaches eternal principles for men and women from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. And I prefer to go with what God has spoken over what culture has spoken. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to narrow this down even more. Here, Peter is specifically talking about how a wife who is married to an unbelieving husband should act. Read with me again verse uh, 1 and into verse 2. It says, and, and can you pass me that water bottle back there? You're the best, dude. You almost did a bottle flip right there. I saw that. I knew what you were trying to do. All right. So uh, read with me again, verse 1 into verse 2. It says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So Peter knows that while writing to elect exiles, there's this common situation that could occur where a wife would come to know Jesus as her Lord and Savior, but her husband wouldn't enter into the same faith as her husband. And so again, this is for people who were originally hearing this. This was people living in the first century Roman Empire. And it was unheard of in that day that a woman would have a different religion than her husband. Just unthinkable. But the principle we've learned, if you remember from Acts 5.29, is that we obey God rather than man. And, and so these women would come to the lordship of Christ and they'd begin following Jesus even against their husband's wishes. And, and since we're on this topic, real briefly, on the topic of obedience to God, I want to talk about two things really quick that I think apply. So if you're not married... I want you to stay checked in because I know we're talking about husbands and wives today, but if you're not married, maybe you're dating, courting, scouting, I don't know, whatever they call it today. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 6.14 says not to be unequally yoked. It's not talking about eggs. Um, what that means is that a believer in Jesus should not seek to be in a romantic relationship with an unbeliever. For what fellowship does light have with darkness? If you are a Christian, God wants you to marry another Christian. And you might be here today and you're saying, well, that ship sailed. <laughs> I did get married and my husband wasn't a follower of Jesus. And maybe, perhaps, going into the relationship with your spouse, you knew that going into it. You knew they weren't saved and that you were, but you got married anyways. So what do you do? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 commands now that you stay married. Two wrongs do not make a right. 
And so Jesus says in Mark 10, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Malachi 2.16 says, God hates divorce. Once you're married, you're to stay married. Surprise. If you're married to an unbeliever, and if your unbelieving spouse is willing to stay in the marriage, you are called by God to stay in your marriage. You should not seek to have a divorce. This happens when Christian Christians marry people who are not Christians. This happens when one person in the marriage comes to Christ and the other doesn't. There's even the case for when one person in the marriage decides to walk away from their faith, leaving their spouse, uh, seeking to still follow Jesus. And so how then is the believing spouse called to live with an unbelieving spouse? Should you leave, you know, Bible verses under their pillow? (laughs) pre-programmed Christian radio set to a certain volume? Should you preach at them, drag their butt to church? Let them know, perhaps, how much more spiritually superior you are than them? Tell them they're going to hell every day? And we laugh because I think there's this understanding from Scripture that Peter suggests another way. There is another way. And it says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word like you do, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Conduct, huh? conduct. This, this connects us back to what we've read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so when they speak against you as an evildoer, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This connects us to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Wives and husbands who are married to unbelieving spouses. I pray for you. I can only imagine the difficulty that you face in your home. There is a Christ-like suffering that you have to daily endure being married to an unbeliever. And look, if... I want to temper this teaching with with a biblical understanding because if your spouse abandons you, if your spouse abuses you, if your spouse commits adultery on you, God does permit in his word a separation or perhaps a divorce from your spouse. It's not his intended way. It's not what he would have hoped or designed for. But look, if we're just talking about your spouse being a hardened unbeliever, it's going to be hard. I I, I understand that it's going to be hard. I, I only know of the constant discouragement that you face as you try to witness to your spouse, as you pray and you try, and it sometimes seems like there is no progress being made. But you keep praying. You know, your unbelieving spouse is powerless to your private prayers. 
So wife, keep living a respectful way toward your husband, even respecting perhaps your husband's decisions not to come to church with you, not to follow Jesus like you follow him, but you keep living out that pure conduct. Maybe they will come to church with you from time to time. Maybe they will see your baptism, for instance, and wonder, hmm, there, there might actually be something to all of this. Maybe they'll see your quiet devotions, your quiet devotions. And yes, they might at times scoff at that book that you read, but you keep finding your strength in God's word. Keep praying, keep honoring, keep respecting, keep submitting. Never submit to sin. The Bible does not call you to that. Even to your own husband. Honor the Lord first. But in all other areas that are apart from sin, honor and submit to your own husband. And if he is not a believer yet, then perhaps by the way that you live, they will be one to Christ. We've seen it time and time again. See this happen. Where, where that unbelieving spouse was the only Bible that their husband, or I'll even speak for, because there's a lot of men that are married to unbelieving wives. You might be the only Bible your unbelieving spouse will ever read. And then one day you might just see them there sitting next to you with a Bible on their lap following Jesus right, along to, right alongside with you. Don't lose hope. Don't be discouraged. Strengthen yourself in your conduct and in your prayers, asking God that he would transform their hearts. Okay, wives, there's still some more teaching from the Lord for you. You ready? Verses three through four. It says, <clears throat> do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let the adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So Peter's been speaking about a wife's conduct and pure conduct is only going to flow out of a pure heart for the Lord. And the Lord looks at the heart of a person, not the outward appearance of a person. We often judge by the outward appearance of people, but God judges the intents of the heart. And so what is a woman to do about their outward appearance? And what is a woman to do about their inward heart? Well, one is certainly more important than the other. Starting with outward appearance of a wife and and I think this part applies more broadly to all women. So this would apply to you even if you aren't married. The word of God says, do not let your adorning be external. Peter then gives three examples of external adorning. Braiding of hair, putting on gold jewelry, and the clothing you wear. Everyone's like looking around like, what did I wear to church today? <laughs> Do I have earrings on? <laughs> Taking rings off. <laughs> you know? You know, that word adorning 
is the word cosmeo. It's actually where we get our word cosmetics or cosmetology. And so what is this saying? And sometimes when understanding scripture, it's helpful to know what it is not saying. It's not saying, do not wear clothes. (laughs) And it's also not saying, do not wear jewelry and do not have your hair look nice. Translations like the New, uh, New King James Version are helpful to use the word merely. Do not let your adorning be only or merely external. Some have tried to say that women should never care an ounce about their fashion sense. They usually don't look very good. Um, (laughs) You know, (laughs) Uh, Chuck Smith, the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, used to say, um, (laughs) I don't know how he got away with saying this one. I'm quoting him because I'm not saying it. He's like, you know, a barn could always use a fresh coat of paint. (laughs) It's just like, wow, that's intense. Not my words. Uh, So some have tried to say women should never care an ounce about how they look or how they dress or the makeup they wear. Now, I, I don't see scripture putting a prohibition on those things altogether, especially when you consider the whole counsel of God's word. What we do see, however, is a warning or rather an encouragement uh, for women not to find their worth in her external beauty. Your beauty, women, is not seen in the bathroom mirror. Your beauty is to be seen by upholding the mirror of God's word to your heart. A Christian woman will find her worth and beauty in the hidden person of the heart. You are beautiful on the inside because that's what God sees as beautiful. Now, there is some progress in our culture toward this idea of internal beauty, but uh, for the most part, we have been delivered a message for the last two generations that beauty is only skin deep. The movies and the magazines and now social media have bombarded women with a false sense of their worth. But women, your beauty is found within the pages of Scripture. Proverbs 31, go and read that. The homemaker and the real estate agent of Proverbs 31 is beautiful because she fears the Lord. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the times to come. So there are three categories of attraction in my books. And when I counsel people who are seeking a spouse, these are the three categories of attractions that you should seek for. Spiritual attraction emotional attraction, and physical attraction. You need all three for a good marriage, but they are to be found in that order. Our world says that if there is physical attractiveness, then the other two don't matter. God calls for the adorning to be the hidden person of the heart, that true beauty, that true imperishable beauty is a woman who loves Jesus. And a woman who loves her family. A a wife who is submitted to her husband and her children love and submit to her. And she is a blessed woman because of it. And all the skin cosmetics in the world cannot produce that. Only love for Jesus and God working in you can produce that kind of beauty. 
There is an imperishable beauty of a woman, and it is a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. A quiet and gentle spirit that trusts God to work out his promises in her and through her. God sees her faith. God sees her Christ-likeness. And to him, it is very precious. And look, I could talk forever about this kind of beauty in women. I, I see it in my wife. I see it in many of the women. I see it in all the women of this church. This beauty that is imperishable, that is found in the gentle and quiet spirit. You know, I, I prefer actually the word meekness. Because meekness is not weakness. The, the definition of meekness is actually strength under control. So a meek woman is found precious in the sight of God. So wives, there's just a little bit more for you to hear from the Lord today. He's holding up the mirror of his word to you today. He's asking you, uh, woman in Christ, do you see yourself this way? And, and, and I, I speak as a man today, uh, as a pastor, I, I speak knowing that I want to see Christ formed in godly women in this way. Uh, and, and you are women. Uh, there's, uh, it's something that I will never be able to fully understand. But God understands women. He's created you. He's designed you. He's fashioned you for a specific purpose. And he will tell you what is beautiful and what is honorable. God's word is filled with faithful women who are examples to us of this kind of beauty. So verse 5 through 6, men, you're coming. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting themselves to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So this was done by holy women of old. They hoped in God. Sarah is an example of this. She obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You're like, whoa, 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 slow your roll. You're like, you're like, I've been fine up until this point, but what's about, is the Bible telling me to call my husband Lord? <laughs> no, don't worry. No, and, and if a husband is trying to assume a role of lordship and is not submitted to the lordship of Jesus, you submit to the Lord and let God deal with him. Paul uses this phrase in his writings. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. I repeat, it's not saying your husband is your God. That would be idolatry. That would be idolatry. But it is saying that as you would submit to Jesus, you can also be submitted to your husband as to the Lord. It is a voluntary voluntary, willful, and loving kind of submission. And it also assumes that the husband is living sacrificially like Jesus. That the husband's actually living like the Lord. But that's not always the case, right? It certainly was not the case always with Abraham. Abraham was the father of faith. He believed God and it was accredited to him righteousness. The nations are blessed through Abraham, the descendant, the Messiah, Jesus, came through Abraham. But Abraham was a sinner, just like the rest of husbands. And not once, but twice, Abraham told Sarah to lie and say that she was his sister. Crazy stories, you should go read them. 
God had to sort out the whole debacle. Not once, but twice this happened. But Sarah is a helpful example to us about how she submitted unto her husband and did not fear because she had a higher submission, a higher trust, which was the Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. You know, I wish that Abraham and Sarah were more perfect examples, but they cannot be perfect examples because they too are sinful man and woman. The example of Sarah is helpful, though, because it shows us that submission is not always that simple. But if we trust a perfect God and follow the example of Christ, we have nothing to fear. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us, now these things happen to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So we can learn principles from these women of old in the Old Testament. The women in the evening study are going to be studying Ruth. You'll learn about how Ruth and Naomi and Orpah, not, not Oprah, Orpah, right, are these examples of what it means to be a holy woman of God. So wives, your cues on how to live as a wife come from the word of God, not from the world. You are children of Sarah, heirs of the promises of God through faith. You have great value. You are precious in the sight of God. You are an honored daughter of the king. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. Okay, men, your turn. And I'm looking at the clock, and I know I'm about five minutes past when I should be ending. But I have a whole nother sermon today <laughs> for the men. We're going. We're taking a long time. Sorry. Push back your lunch plans. All right. We're going to go a little longer. Ladies, you got six verses. Men, you have one. I don't know why that is, why it's weighted, but this one verse packs a punch. Here we go. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to, your, to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Likewise means that there's something for everyone. It means that in the same way that emperors and masters have been instructed in how they should lead with honor and goodness, likewise, husbands, in the way that you lead, you are to lead like Jesus, the servant of all. The leadership style of Jesus is servant leadership, and we do not lead our wives. When it says likewise, it's connecting the context to Jesus. When we lead our wives, we do not lead our wives like a government leads their citizens. We do not lead our wives like masters lead their slaves. The immediate context of likewise is that we lead our wives like Jesus leads his church. Three nails, bro. He died for her. Sacrificed everything for her in love. Voluntarily and willfully and humbly. Likewise, husbands, those who have been given a separate and distinct role in the home, you are commanded by God to live with your wives. Seems easy enough, right, to live with your wife? I can do that. But the word for live is to dwell 
in an abiding way. You know, in a lot of marriages, husbands are not really living with their wives. They're more like roommates. God calls husbands and wives to live together. That means sharing in the blessings and the burdens of the home. Husbands are to be fully engaged in the life of the home so that they can truly say that they live with their wives. And many things can hinder a man from living with their wife. Like living at work, or living at the bar, or living at your hobbies, or living on your smartphone, or or living in a constant state of anger or emotional disconnection. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. That word understanding means that you have to have knowledge. It means that you need to study your wife. You know what you're called to do as a husband and you know what your wife is called to do. You are to be a spiritual leader and she is called to be in submission to that leadership. But men, are we helping, not hindering our wives from doing what she is called to do? This is something I said to Christian employers, is that you should be the best boss that anyone would ever want to work for, that you should make it easier and not harder for your employee to submit to you as an employer. So how does that translate into the same idea for marriage? Husbands, be an understanding husband. You should be making it easier and not harder for your wife to fulfill her God-given role of submission. And look, maybe you're a wife and you're married to a husband that makes it kind of hard for you to submit. Wives, you are still called to submit and know that God might be using your husband as a tool in your life to make you more like Jesus. You know the best part about God using a difficult husband as a tool in your life? Is that you get to call him a tool. (laughs) No, I'm joking. Husbands, let's not be tools. Men, we need not be jerks. Amen? Be understanding. Be understanding. Here is what Peter says now for husbands to understand about their wives. We are to show her honor, see her as the weaker vessel, and that she is an heir with you of the grace of life. And understand this, that if you live with that understanding, your prayers will not be hindered. That's some stuff to unpack. So husbands, show your wife honor. That, that goes in line with honor everyone. Hey, everyone, let's honor everyone. Amen. No human being is to be excluded from honor, but especially not your spouse. Husbands, understand that your wife is a weaker vessel. This is a biological fact. This is how God made it, that women are generally weaker than men physically. God decided to create in this way that man was made first, and then he made woman from man, and God decided generally as a, as a rule that Women are physically weaker. Now look, there's probably some women in this room who could arm wrestle over half of us. (laughs) But the general fact of nature is that women are physically weaker than men 
This says nothing about value, dignity, honor, intellect. Certainly nothing about spiritual maturity. To be called the weaker vessel does not diminish anything of that. So husbands need to understand this about their wives. And and I think it's speaking mostly to physical weakness, but there might at times be application for perhaps emotions, that wives tend to be more sensitive, although I know a few men who cry more than their wives. I say my wife and I are probably pretty tied up. But there's no one size fits all here. And there's something for husbands to understand that, that the woman is the weaker vessel, so we need to honor and cherish her. Study your wife and know how to care for her. That word weaker vessel is like a fragile vase. It's like the idea of a fragile piece of fine china. Care for your wife like you would care for fine china. But unlike fine china, you're going to want to have dinner with her more than once a year. (laughs) We've got to spend time with our wives. We've got to know our wives, study our wives, and lovingly lead our wives. Okay, so a woman may be physically weaker, but not spiritually. Look what it says next. Husbands, understand that your wife is an heir with you of the grace of life. That sounds like a quality to me. A quality in what matters most. In the spirit of a man and in the spirit of a woman, they are equal in loving acceptance to God. We are all men and women saved by grace. There is neither male nor female. We are joint heirs with Christ. When we get to heaven... There will not even be marriage, for one. And there isn't a section for men and a section for women. All will be singing at the feet of Jesus, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The idea of being joint heirs of the grace of life is that we need to understand this, men, is that, that we first become children of God in order to be heirs of the grace of life. So if you and your spouse are joint heirs together in the grace of life, do you know what that makes you? Yes, you are a husband and wife, but, but spiritually speaking, you are also brother and sister. Maybe the language of husband and wife is not helping you to see how you ought to treat your wife. You should treat your wife as your sister in Christ. How would you treat any other sister in Christ in this church? Treat your wife with that same kind of honor, even more honor because she is your wife. And Peter says to do all of this as a husband who is called to lead your wife spiritually. So here's what we're to understand, men, husbands, Your wife is to be honored, your wife is the weaker vessel, and your wife is heir with you in the grace of life. Do you understand this? And do you live with that understanding with your wife? Peter gives a strong warning to the husbands here at the end. And if if you do not live with your wife with this kind of understanding, Peter says, your prayers will be hindered. I thought for a while about what that really means, that my prayers would be hindered if I didn't live with understanding of my wife in this way. 
And, and I'm not sure that I fully know, but what I do know is that I don't want it to happen to me. I would, rather, I, I would never want my prayers to be hindered because I'm not fulfilling my God-given role as a husband. And look, my fear is that for some men, you would have no clue that your prayers are hindered because there are men in the church who don't even pray for their wives. How can you hinder something that never actually happens? That's a sober charge for husbands, to pray for your wife, to pray for your children, to pray for yourself, to be a husband who offers up holy prayers for a holy wife, and above all, asking God to make you more Christ-like, which is going to cause your marriage to flourish. And we end now. We want to give a brief encouragement to just a few last people because we've been talking to husbands and wives. I want to talk to those who are not husbands yet and to those who are not wives yet. If you are a single man and you desire a wife, pray that God would make you Christ-like, a man who would attract a godly woman, one who is holy and who fears the Lord. If you are not a wife yet and you seek to have a husband, Seek to lead a quiet and gentle life of submission now, most importantly, to your bridegroom, Jesus. And perhaps you are called to singleness, and that is a beautiful calling that Paul says you are spared of worldly sorrows, <laughs> the constant concern of how to please your spouse. You're like, none of this applies to me today. I could have checked out of church today. No. So... And then there's, there's the last. Uh, I already got to encourage um, believers who are married to unbelievers. Again, I pray for you. But I want to perhaps encourage those who are divorced. God loves you. God is merciful and gracious toward you. And you are still to be the man or the woman that God is calling you to be. Forget what lies behind. Press forward to what lies ahead and God has promises for you that are precious in his sight. And be encouraged today. But husbands and wives, men and women, we have been searched by the word of God today. Our marriage are a profound mystery. I end with this probably most important point of this entire message is that our marriages are a mystery that point to God's relationship with us. It is a picture of Jesus and his love for the church, that Jesus loves his church. That's the message that your marriage is to speak. So God forbid that our marriages would tell a watching world any kind of lie about how Jesus loves his church. What God has shown for us today is to be more Christ-like in how marriage will be a flourishing picture of the gospel that brings the fullness of life and joy into your home. So how are we going to respond today to all this? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time. Thank you for attentive hearts to receive all that you've spoken here today. God, as we enter in a time of worship and communion, God, I ask that you would be moving by your spirit. Thank you, God, that you are a much better teacher than I am, Lord. <laughs> Holy Spirit, you will teach and you will, you will take all these words and, 
exactly what each individual needs, exactly what each marriage needs. We talked a lot about principles. Now, God, we want to put into practice in our own marriages what you have spoken. So God, help us. Anyone who needs prayer, God, I pray would seek prayer. Anyone who needs repentance would seek repentance. Anyone who needs worship, give worship. Pray, God, that husbands and wives would squeeze their honeys as we worship, as we take communion today, cherishing the gift that you've given us in our marriages. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.